teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. The good news is that you have the word of God being proclaimed tonight. And I trust that uh, the vessel in all its weakness simply shows something of the glory of God in its ministration. That sounds a little bit like something borrowed from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Please turn with me to Isaiah and chapter 40. And as you do so, I bring you greetings from Kabwata Baptist Church in Lusaka, Zambia the congregation of God's people that I've had the privilege to, to pastor for what is almost the whole of my adult life. And as I was sharing with your leaders in a meeting earlier, it's been a great privilege to be part of a church with which I've been able to grow in ministry even as the church has grown. It's a privilege I continue to thank the Lord for. If you are in Isaiah and chapter 40, let me quickly let the cat out of the bag. I'm speaking on the subject of the greatness of God. And in speaking on that subject, first of all, I do so primarily because the more I get exposed to a lot of Christian teaching, the more uh, I, I, I come to the realization that the God of, of many Christians is, is too small. It's a God that we can easily manipulate. A God that human beings can press the right buttons as if it's a, a machine and produce exactly what they want at the end of it. Or a God that if you press the wrong buttons, somehow you don't quite get the results that you want. Whichever way it is, it's a God who is a puppet, a God that depends on you rather than a God upon whom you depend. But there's another reason why I'm concerned to deal with this subject, and it is this, that the peace, the comfort, the stability of our Christian faith depends on our appreciation of the greatness of God. And it is really the second reason that has gripped my heart because it's a positive reason. I'd like to leave the shores of America tomorrow knowing that some Christian, even if it's in the singular, some Christian has grasped afresh that my God is big. And in that, and in that alone, I rest. 
I'll just read the first two verses to begin with, and then we will go through the rest as my sermon continues. And in doing so, I'm basically going through the whole of this chapter. It's a fairly lengthy chapter. I won't deal with its details, but I hope you will go away with the flavor that makes up this chapter. Isaiah writes, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Basically, Israel as a nation, was in deep waters. The larger quantity of its people had already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. In due season, the remaining tribes were also taken away by the Babylonians. And humanly speaking, they did not have an army that would enable them to fight back and restore anything of their former glory. In other words, from a human perspective, Israel was done for, it's finished, it's history. And it is in that context that God sends Isaiah to speak to them, to, to comfort them, and to comfort them while they are still in captivity, while with their own naked eyes, when they look, the situation remains hopeless. And he says to Isaiah, comfort them, comfort them, speak tenderly, and tell them that they have received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. When we apply this across into the New Testament, we do not think in terms of ourselves as being a physical nation that has been taken away into captivity. We think in terms of two possible situations. And the first, in terms of applying the principle is that often the church of Jesus Christ goes through very difficult times. Sometimes persecuted by political leaders to the point where with the human eye you think the church in that corner of the world is finished. Because they do not have physical warfare, physical weapons to fight back with. They don't. And those who rule have the power on their side. It looks like the church has been done for. That's the way it was with the early church. You remember. Persecuted by the Jews. Persecuted by the, the Roman government, a number of their leaders being killed, it's as though the church has no future. Of course, fast forward to 2014, the church had a future, but that's what we'll look at in a few moments. 
The second area of application is at an individual level as a Christian. Christians are a persecuted people. They suffer sometimes in their families. They suffer in their work situations. They suffer in their communities. And often they cry themselves to sleep because a situation is not resolving itself correctly. They have prayed, they have cried, and clearly their future happiness seems to be in the hands of someone else, and that someone else is proving to be a tyrant to them. And consequently, they wonder whether there is any hope. And if there's anybody in that category this evening, here in chapter 40 of Isaiah, you have a word of comfort and a word of encouragement, and it's based on this fact. God is great. Or to borrow the picture I used earlier on, he is big bigger than you can ever imagine. That's really the message that Isaiah was to bring to God's people. Their iniquity had been pardoned. God was not dealing with them in order to punish them and extinguish them. No. And for us in the New Testament, Jesus Christ has paid the price. God is not coming in judgment in terms of condemning and punishing his people. He's not doing that. Well then, what is it that is happening in your life? What is it that is happening in those places where the Christian church is under intense suffering? In the Middle East, in communist China, etc., etc., well, that's what the rest of this chapter is all about. And I want to take us through it, galloping as it were on a fast horse. So please hold tight to your hearts. First of all, Isaiah seems to suggest here very clearly that whatever it is that was happening to the people of God was primarily an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. Notice that with me from verse 3 to verse 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The point there is obvious. Make a way not for yourselves, but for God to come in, to arrive in the situation. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough plain places a plain. And the glory of the Lord, there it is, shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here's the point. 
Israel, listen to this. Whatever it is that God has done in bringing Assyria against you, allowing Babylon to do what it has done among your people over these years, it has not taken God by surprise. No. Rather, he has deliberately allowed it so that he may in due season show forth his glory. And that's what happens to the Christian church. Going through whatever the situation might be. That's what's happening to you in your situation as a child of God. Now, I agree with you. Stephen being stoned to death, God, how do you receive glory out of that? My family life breaking apart, Lord, how will you receive glory out of it? We don't know. But God is saying here that all flesh shall see his they will. One of the ways in which it will happen is simply this, that at the moment, those in political power, flexing their muscles, showing forth the splendor of their power, seem to be completely in charge. But compared to God, they are nothing, absolutely nothing. Their strength is actually weakness in his sight. And that's what he goes on to speak about here. Look with me very quickly at verse 6 to verse 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And this is what you should say. All flesh, not just those that are at the bottom of the political spectrum or financial spectrum, but all of them, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There was Assyria in all its power. There was Babylon in all its power with Nebuchadnezzar showing forth his might and his wealth. There is the Roman Empire with all its leadership, its Caesars one after the other, its heralds one after the other. Where is it today? Grass that withered. We just learn about them in history, history books. And we hope that the exams, when they come, they will not include a question on them because we want to move on quickly. 
Leave the whole thing behind. But God's word, God's purpose, God's people continue to march on. That's the point that's being made here. But friends, yes, today, as you are facing, as a Christian church or an individual, that situation before you that makes you feel so hopeless, please remember that you are not sharing the same feeling with God because God is the Almighty One. So clearly the plea that we're going on to see in a moment is this, that if you're going to rise out of your sense of despair, stop looking at yourself as a church. Stop looking at yourself as an individual. And instead, turn your attention to God. That's all Isaiah was saying here, as we'll see in a moment. Ultimately, his message, which he was to proclaim to the people, was this. Behold your God. Don't look at yourself. Think about this God. Meditate concerning this God. And let new energy begin to fill your soul. And here's the exhortation in verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Look at him. And the main issue about him that's being brought out here is the activity of God to look after his own. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense with him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Notice there, it's not his flock, the lambs that are busy doing things. It's God. Behold your God. He will tend his flock. He will gather the lambs. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those who are with him. Isn't that the most difficult situation in any trial? To stop navel gazing? To turn your eyes upon Jesus instead? To start saying to yourself, now hang on, hang on. What kind of God is he? Who is my God? The Christian church under serious persecution. Saying, now hang on. Who is this who is our God? 
What are his promises towards us? Has he left us to try and somehow survive in our own strength? By our own ingenuity? Or is he an active God who will look after his own? Where are we looking? And I want to challenge you as an individual Christian tonight in your situation. I don't know what it is. Where are you spending most of your meditation? Are you gazing at the problem until it becomes so huge that yours is nothing more than a perpetual pity party? Or are you looking at your God? And saying, let me concentrate my meditations on this wonderful, glorious, majestic, big God. Behold your God. Now when you do that exercise, two things come to your mind. And that's what the people of Israel needed to know. That's what the Christian church needs to know, and that's what each one of us desperately needs to know. First of all, it's this. God does not need us to change the situation around. He doesn't. As Jesus once said to Peter, put that sword away. Come on, put it away. If I needed a rescue now, there are enough soldiers around the throne to come and sort out these frail creatures around me. Here. <laughs> so Peter, put it away. The Father's will must be done. And that's the meaning of verse 12 to verse 14. When the questions are asked, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills on a balance? It's really looking among human beings and saying, who is it who, as it were, came alongside God in his creation activities? Who is it? Who was his helper? When an architect works out a majestic building or engineers come in to put up those buildings, they may have their names on the dotted line at the bottom, but I want to assure you there have been quite a number of individuals that have helped them in that work. And they will tell you that there was Sam and there was Harry and there was John and they did Wonderful work. That's how this thing has come together. Well, let's think about God for a moment. Who was it who worked alongside him to put this universe into place? Who? He says, the, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? 
Whom did he consult and, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who? Clearly, the answer is no one. He's acted alone. Therefore, even in the situation at hand, with Babylon suffocating the life out of Israel, put your gun away. Put your sword away. You'll be amazed at what God will do without you. Look at the way the church has triumphed over history. When it has resorted to the armed struggle, well, you know what's happened with the crusades. When God himself has come in, as we'll see in a few moments, leaders, political tyrants have been shocked because they have failed to predetermine where their end will come from. Suddenly, their throne has been eaten away, eaten away from the inside out. God. Let me say this, is God alone? Yes, he will use us, but he uses us when he wants to and how he wants to. Until then, relax. <laughs> He's not biting his nails. Wondering when you will come to the rescue. <laughs> and then Isaiah spends verse 15 all the way to verse 26, bringing out something of the way in which God is completely incomparable in his greatness. Completely incomparable. And, and as we think about this greatness of God relative to all these situations, what I want you to do is, instead of dealing with so much with the details, it's, it's, it's to drink in the, the, the glorious panoramic view and let your soul drink it in as it were until the whole of you is simply saying, wow. What a great God my God is. And he begins by putting himself on one end of the scale and putting all nations on the other side. And you would think that with all nations on this side and one God on this side, the scale ought to go like this. Listen to the way he puts it in verse 15 to 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Now, what, what this picture is supposed to symbolize is something like this. 
you, you've had a bucket full of water and you've gotten all the water out. You've shaken it and all the water is out. But when you peep in there, there's a little drop somewhere in the corner. <laughs> so it's empty, but there's water in it. But it's empty. That's what it means. In other words, completely insignificant compared to God. Or, he uses the picture here of a scale. It reads zero. But when you get a magnifying glass and look, there's a bit of dust there. But it's reading zero. (laughs) You get the point. (laughs) Dust on a scale, but zero compared to him. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. And listen to this. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Less than nothing. What is that? Yes. Less than nothing. Do you sense the greatness that Isaiah is trying to portray to us? When you see those hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, of soldiers that belong to Nebuchadnezzar, and there you are trembling. Less than nothing. When God decides to act, it's nothing. The Christian church looks at the armies arrayed against her and begins to tremble. Don't tremble. Those numbers are nothing compared to this God. Nothing. Then there is the comparison to the idols. The idols that were being made. And again, the bottom line is they are a gross misrepresentation of the greatness of this God. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman crafts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. In other words, the best possible wood. He seeks out a skillful craftsman because he wants to have the the wow factor in his soul to set up an idol. And then he finishes by saying, that will not move. Again, a complete disaster compared to this God. Let me hurry on because all I want you to do is to soak it in. Then there's comparison to our rulers, the ones who walk around like peacocks. 
boasting of their power that they can squeeze you into nothingness at a decision that they can make. Here is the point, verse 21 to 24. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its habitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a canopy, rather like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Isn't that what's been happening in history? A leader rises to the throne and makes one of his main agenda items the extinguishing of the Christian church. And yes, damage is done to the church. Buildings are destroyed. Church leaders are locked up in prisons and some of them even made to, to suffer early deaths. And it is as though God is helpless. Until one day he says, enough is enough. <laughs> and the leader is gone. And the church comes out of the woodworks, continues to worship the great God. That's your God. He is great. He's greater than all the political powers that are there, even when they have come in conspiracy against him, against his church, against his people. It only needs to take one decision in the throne room of heaven to say enough, and that's it. History completely changes, and a new day dawns for the people of God. One more comparison, and it is showing how he sustains the whole universe. The previous comparisons were by contrast. This one is basically saying, extrapolate. See, if this is what he does, can he fail to handle your situation? Just two verses there, verse 25 and verse 26. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you ever had this opportunity of watching a video where they are showing you Earth in its solar system, this solar system in its galaxy, and then the galaxy among galaxies, 
and it's going, going. At a certain point, you sort of close your eyes and say, no. <sighs> I, I, I can't handle this. <laughs> I, can't, I, I seem to, to manage simply looking at Los Angeles or California and say, oh, yeah, yeah, no. God is big. <laughs> but the universe, and to be told that we haven't even seen the end of it. And he sustains the whole of it. it ha he, he hangs it in the middle of nothing. Wow. And then now come back, come back, come back. Step by step from that huge, measureless universe and get to earth and, and from, from earth get to, to, to California and, and to, to Los Angeles and, and to your home and, and to you and, and to that little cell in your body that he continues to sustain with, with all its detail. Wow! What a being. What a being. That he should have the vast universe with all its details. And me with all my details. If I was a, a little boy with my missing toy in the house and I'm shedding tears. And he's there as I'm crying to him as though I'm the only one in the universe. Wow. Is that how big your God is tonight? The God of the universe who is your father your heavenly father who loves you with an everlasting love who's given his own dear son the Lord Jesus Christ to live and die for you stepping into time from eternity allowing himself to be hunted like a wild animal and finally shedding his life's blood As the hymn writer says, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. My ugly sins to reconcile me to God. My soul sins, how great thou art. You must be great. That in the midst of these galaxies, I'm not lost. I'm not. 
You have your eye on the sparrow. You have your eye on me. Do you see why Isaiah now concludes the way he does? Let's look at his conclusion. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? What Isaiah is basically doing is going right back to the beginning of the chapter. The, the lack of comfort among the people of God is he's forgotten about us. He's rather busy with whatever it is he's doing. We finished. And friends, isn't that where our depression comes from? When you begin to think that this, this God who is your God has become rather overwhelmed with the details of whatever it is he's doing. That he's forgotten you in the midst of your sorrows, your trials. As an individual or as the Christian church, I'm being disregarded. God is, is too busy to, to notice me. Mine is a Deplorable situation. Too bad. Maybe for others, but definitely not for me. Too bad. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Come on, wake up. He's not an idol, He's not a figment of your imagination. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And that phrase is meant to say the ends of the universe. The world as you know it today. And he does not faint. He does not grow weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. You, you cannot get to the end of it. It's an infinite understanding. Wow. That's a wake-up call. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. In other words, the conclusion is this. Wait upon the Lord. That's it. Don't try and start giving him advice. Uh -uh. <laughs> Just wait on him. He knows what he's doing. Just wait on him. And while you wait on him, he will give you inner strength to handle this situation. He will, to borrow the picture here, he gives power to the faint, to him who has no might increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the glory of the Christian faith. I've often had to, to visit Christians in hospital. And as I'm preparing to go there, I'm, I'm thinking, what will I say to them? You know, their situation is perhaps terminal. It's something that, yeah, I can only shake my head about it, but I'm hoping by the time I get there, I'll have the right words to say. And when I get there, I'm a little speechless as I see the situation. But the child of God begins to speak. And by the time the child of God has finished speaking, I realize that while he was on that sick bed, he was seeing more of heaven than I'm seeing. I'm the one who leaves the hospital encouraged. God has been there. God has been ministering. Waiting upon so that he gives you inner strength to stand for him, to stand up in the midst of the situation, to still be godly. Remember Paul crying to the Lord concerning that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. Jesus' response is this. My grace is made perfect in weakness. It's sufficient for you. And consequently, he's willing to just leave it to the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And that's what I want to say to you. Those that wait upon the Lord as that chorus goes shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is that where you are today? As a child of God, walking in darkness, are you saying to yourself, my God is great. Let me close myself up with him to meditate on this God, the creator of the universe, the governor of history, the redeemer of his people, the coming judge of the living and the dead. Let me engulf myself with his greatness while the storm passes by. Is that you? Or are you looking at yourself and crying and crying and crying until you almost drown yourself in your own tears? May God help us today to see, friends, our God is great. Amen.